are listening to Have You Ever Heard Of? A history podcast. You can support us by following us on Patreon, Twitter and Instagram at Have You Ever Pod. Hello, Katie. How are you? And are you looking forward to your actual birthday? I guess so. Not really. I'm just going to get older and uh, I'm going to be hungover because I'm going out on the Friday. But I'm going out with the same people that I did the pub crawl with. So they don't know it was, it's my birthday. Basically, I'm not going to tell them because we've already celebrated it and I don't want to hog it and do tea. So just pretend it's not happening. Surely your friends know your actual birthday day? No, they don't know. Oh, well, I do. Happy birthday. You do, yeah. <laughs> Two days, right? Yeah, That's yeah. Right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> So by the time the public are listening to this, the public, the listeners are listening to this, you will be... <laughs> they are part of the public. 37? Is that right? No, that's a vicious lie. It's a rumour. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty sure that was right. <laughs> hey, I'm turning 33 in like 18 days, 19 days, and um, I feel like that's old. So yeah. <laughs> mm, I remember the glory days of 33. I do actually like a palindromic number, like 22 is quite a good year, hopefully 33 will be a good year, and then... 44 would be even better. I feel like the 40s are going to be really good for me. <laughs> I, I don't. don't. Know. I just feel it coming. <laughs> so, shall I tell you about... It's another person. Shall I tell you about my person? I'm liking this return to the original remit. Yeah, I like classic. people, actually. So. Classic. <laughs> okay, so have you ever heard of Catherine Ann Power? No. Okay, you probably know... Maybe not the specific incident that she was involved in, but you'll know the kind of... A lot of the stuff that was going on at the time, you'll, okay, you'll be aware. Okay, okay. so, let's start with early life. Um, also, I apologise for my voice today. I feel like I've got a bit of a sore throat, so I'm sounding a bit croaky, but I think it's kind of sexy, so it's fine. <laughs> like the Phoebe voice. Exactly, yeah, that episode. Okay, best character, by the way. Really? See, I think Chandler, but... Anyway. I love Chandler as well. Phoebe and Chandler are the top tier. But I think as I've got older, I've appreciated Phoebe more. Fair enough. Mm. I think I'm I'm more Phoebe than I am either of the other two. <laughs> <laughs> Just the weird one. Okay. So, Catherine Ann Power grew up as the third of seven children and the eldest daughter in Denver, Colorado. So, she was born on the 25th of January, 1949. Her parents were Winfield and Marjorie. And they were raised like Irish Catholic middle class family. Her father was a bank credit manager and her mother was a registered nurse. She described power, described her childhood as kind of extreme because it was very religious. So like her aunts were nuns and the uncles were priests and they recited rosaries. I mean, that's not a really fun way to spend your evening. That kind of thing. I mean, Umbrella Academy on Netflix or Rosary (laughs) Beads. I'm going to go Umbrella Academy. Anyway, moving on. That's hilarious. So Catherine became a Girl Scout and won a scholarship to Mary Crest Girls High School, which was a Catholic school in Colorado. While she was in high school, she won the Betty Crocker Cooking Award and she she wrote a regular column for the Denver Post. She graduated as valedictorian. What is valedictorian? valedictorian is like the top person academically in that school year oh right so if you've seen the gilmore girls rory is valedictorian because she had the best grades 
So you're like literally number one. Yeah, literally. Oh man, they love a bit of competition in America, don't they? They do. It's absolutely insane. I absolutely live for it. <laughs> we had like awards at our school that were like achievement awards. So I think yeah, yeah. it was in year nine that I won. So every year, some a different person won it, and in year nine, I won the achievement award for that but, year. But at first, I hear we like we spread the glory a bit. Like you, there's like multiple prizes. Like yeah, we had like, like subject awards. Like, as exactly. Well. Yeah. I think one year, I think in year 11, I won like the IT award or something. It's a good compromise. You're still like kind of rewarding ability, but you're not just being a twat about it. I guess, but there are like 400 kids in my school, just in my year. So (laughs) if only one person wins the achievement award, it's a bit like all the others would be like, what? Yeah, I suppose so. (laughs) Yeah, so she was awarded a full scholarship to Brandeis, which is like a lib arts university in Massachusetts. And while she was at school she also worked with the poor and elderly and had a constant 4.0 grade average so in 1967 power enrolled at brandeis to study a sociology major and she was an honor student like at the time that she enrolled and at this time there's something going on in america in 1967 what's going on not just not in america but like what what was vietnam war yeah exactly so there are a lot of students protesting the vietnam war (laughs) around university campuses in America. So she started off with a full scholarship. She was on the dean's list. She was a bit homesick, her roommate said. Oh, quick note on quotes. There are a lot of quotes from Power in here and other people. All of these quotes come from a New York article mm-hmm. from 1994. And that is available to read free online. It's very long. It's 46 pages. Cool. <laughs> but it's incredible. So if you want to know where I got all my quotes from, that is where I got nice sources. Okay, so um, she became known for wandering around campus braless and barefoot in an orange smock, Fair. which is strange, and for her attendance at students for a democratic society protest rallies and her involvement in the Brandeis Strike Information Center. And we'll come back to that. Power and one of her roommates, Susan Edith Sachs, who is very important to the story, worked to organise student protests for a committee known as the National Student Strike Force. In the summer of 1970, the MOBE, which is the new mobilisation committee to end war in Vietnam, <laughs> wanted to give her like an official leadership role, like a legitimate role where she would travel and talk to people about the Vietnam War. But she actually was quite scared to take on that role and she mm. didn't end up taking it on. At the end of the day, her and Sachs stayed behind at Brandeis to run the centre. The university wanted to shut it down. They sued the university and they lost. (laughs) Oh boy. So it's another story of someone suing someone and losing. (laughs) (laughs) So Brandeis ran this programme for young people who had come out of prison on parole and wanted to go to college. So Power and Sachs became acquainted with a man named Stanley Ray Bond, who's an ex-convict and soldier who had been a helicopter pilot in Vietnam. Who's from California. He came home from Vietnam in 1965 and ended up tw- committing 20 armed robberies. I know what the story is now. You do? Okay. <laughs> I thought you might. <laughs> so in the summer of 1970, they met this guy Bond and things started to kind of go downhill from there. Later on, detectives actually described Bond as a Manson-like character who manipulated people with very little effort. Okay, so let's talk about crime. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> So, through their association with Bond, Power and Sachs became involved in a plot to arm the Black Panther Party as a response to the US involvement of the Vietnam War. She came to believe that the only thing that would stop the war was revolutionary action. Which isn't, like, a terrible thing to think. I don't believe in it. 
but I don't think it, that one particular thought in your head is a terrible thing to think. I don't know. I've had a conversation with people. I mean, I obviously, when you're young, it seems like such a good idea, She's but it's just young. kind of like, but yeah. it's just like the idea of it. But when you like come to the reality of it, it involves like killing people. Like you have to kill people. Yeah, like, I don't think it's that quite she strange. That. <laughs> yeah, but you know, if you're arming people, then that's inevitably going to lead to to death of lots of people. Anyway, there are more quotes coming up where okay. she'll talk about what she actually like kind of thought. Bond introduced Power and Sax to a pair of former convicts that were on the same program as him, William Gilday and Robert valerie all three of them were on parole so they had also committed some sort of crimes bond taught power and sacks how to fire rifles and together they did things like rob banks steal cars transport guns etc the first incident that is important together they plotted to rob the state street bank and trust on the 20th of september 1970 the group robbed a national guard armory in newport massachusetts and took around 400 rounds of ammunition they also stole weapons and set fire to the facility causing 125,000 pounds in damage which is about a quarter of a million today yikes power's role was to keep watch she crouched in some bushes and apparently was holding a gun but ended up throwing up all over it because she was nervous which i can so relate to i get a nervous stomach wow i've never never experienced that nervous puking oh yeah man um so she says that she was certain during this time she never went inside a bank not once okay covering her tracks covering her Um, tracks (laughs) so the robberies netted around $45,000, $45,000, like, altogether, which is about double today. So all the things I'm mm. saying are about double in the money today. Okay. It's weird because some sources say this happened on the 23rd of September, whereas the New Yorker article said it happened on the 21st of September. So around the 22nd of September. <laughs> I think it's the 23rd of September. I think that maybe the New York article was wrong, but I don't know. Okay. 1970. Um, the group robbed a bank in Brighton, which is a neighborhood of Boston, carrying handguns, a shotgun, and a submachine gun. Wow, nice. I like a submachine gun. Great fun. For all the family. Carry on. <laughs> so they were wearing disguises. Um, Sachs was wearing like a wig and a long dress, Valerie a stocking cap and sunglasses, and Bond was the one who disarmed the guard. Power was behind the wheel of one of two getaway vehicles. It was a Ford station wagon. <laughs> a yeah. of... I mean, like, that doesn't seem like the fastest getaway car. I mean, yeah, like, you could like, definitely do better. the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> True. They, and also, they're in their 20s. They don't have access to, like, fast cars. I mean, if you're going to rob a bank, you should, like, steal a fast car, right? Just... Well, I guess they're... They just get like a slow cars, family yeah. car. They were yeah. like, oh, how about this Ford station wagon? Just to yeah. cruise along at. Maybe it was the, the one. The police just come in along behind you really slowly. <laughs> Please pull over. After a few minutes, the other car left with Bond, Sachs, and Valerie in it. And she was waiting for for Gilday. As far as I can gather, I think that's what happened. It's confusing who's in each car, but that's I think that's what happened. Okay. The first policeman on the scene was Officer Walter Schroeder of the Boston Police Department and his partner. Gilday, who was sitting in the car, sprained 30 rounds in his direction of the submachine gun. And Schroeder, who was hit, subsequently died of his wounds the next day in hospital. Schroeder had been a decorated public servant who had saved many people's lives. He had even disarmed robbers at the same bank recently. Apparently, Valerie said Gilday had shot him because he, quote, 
wanted to shoot a cop. Powers said she had, quote, an overwhelming sense of wrongness. This wasn't supposed to be about taking lives. This was supposed to be about stopping the taking of lives. So I don't think she quite understood at this young age, like, what was really going on. I mean, you're all armed with guns. Like, it's like it's a distinct possibility that people yeah, are going to get killed. Absolutely. Like, yeah, she's definitely not innocent in this. Mm-hmm. So the group escaped with £26,000 in cash. So they got this about double today. And they plan to use it to finance the overthrowing of the federal government because it only takes twenty-six grand to do oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Apparently Bond put a thousand dollars of the money like away. He like put it in like a um, like a camera lens or something and saved it for the family of the cop who was killed. Okay. Mm. And just no, well. he didn't like Well even, even if he did that, it was just <laughs> yeah. like not no kind of comparison to losing your father slash husband. Anyway, so while raiding Power's apartment after the bank robbery, police found evidence tying Power to both of them. This included weapons, ammunition, and a telephone switchboard from the armory. Power's attorneys would subsequently blame her involvement on her manipulation by her partner Bond. I did say they were going out, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> so Bond and Power were like a thing. Okay. Okay. So the group obviously had to run. Power cut off most of her hair, dyed it red, and changed her glasses. They went from place to place, um, her and Bond together. Bond told her to take a suitcase on a plane from Atlanta to their next stop. She didn't know there was a loaded shotgun inside. It went off on the luggage carousel. What the hell? And as they tried to find the person it belonged to, she managed to escape, go to a like a shop, buy a wig, change her clothes, and manage to get away. See, kids, this is why at the airport... The check-in, they, the check-in people, they ask you if you packed your own bag. And this is why it's important. Because you never know when someone's just going to pack like a loaded shotgun in your bag. As we know, as we can see, it happens. When I was going to Spain once, my, my, a couple of my friends, this was when I was a teenager, thought it would be funny. I had a bowling pin that I got from a bowling party when I was... And they decided it would be funny to put it in there. And luckily, I had opened my bag to <laughs> like check something else before i left for the airport <laughs> and it was in there and i was like this is why it was so heavy <laughs> imagine if i'd gone and there was like what is this bowling pin man that was free to me when i was like going to like singapore i was backpacking i was so paranoid that someone just put drugs in my bag i don't know why like because you know you just leave your bag around in like a hostel so like it could be someone just put them in there we're knowing i'm just gonna get killed i'm gonna get executed for someone stashing drugs in my bag <laughs> It's pretty paranoid on that trip, actually, yeah, thinking back to it. Anyway. <laughs> like me and Bridget Jones. Yeah, anyway. Exactly. Anyway. Uh, at that point, she left Bond. She saw the error of her ways and she was like, this I mean, guy, like, it took a while. This guy, That's yeah. what I'm going to say. Right. So what happened to the other guys, quickly. Um, so Gilday, Valerie and Bond were all captured. Basically, what happened to Bond was he had charmed a woman on a different plane, spent the night with her, and then bragged to her about what he had done. Oh, Obviously, she went what to officials. <laughs> also, charms is a great word. I'm just imagining, like, charming like a, charming a snake. So, yeah, he charmed her like a snake. And then, so Valerie and, and um, Gilday were captured within a week. Um, they didn't manage to get away. Valerie received a jail term of 25 years for the robbery. Gilday received the death penalty. Oh, wow. He actually died in prison in 2011. So I don't know whether it was... Because you know that weird bit in America when, like, everything changed back to not death penalty and then it changed back to death penalty. I don't know whether it was that or he just didn't make it to the electric chair. It's weird how long it takes. It takes a long, really long time. People just, like, just wait around for decades. 
basically you are more likely to die of like old age than yeah. you are. Yeah. Which of. is like why didn't yeah. they just give him life without the possibility of parole? Exactly. So gonna... Anyway, he's dead now. Um Bond <laughs> is also dead because nineteen months after he was captured, he was making a bomb as a part of an escape plan and it went wrong and it blew oh, up dear. and he died. In, in, in prison. the prison. Yeah. I mean guards, guys. Don't guards. <laughs> just don't give prisoners the ingredients to make bombs. I mean, like it just this seems like ridiculous advice. I mean, obviously, like, I mean, it, it was seems a very, very good bomb. <laughs> I mean, just I, I don't know why I need to be giving this advice, but just don't don't just give don't. them don't give them the ingredients to make bombs. Also, America, just don't. Yeah, just all in general. <laughs> just guns. It's bad. Anyway, it's <laughs> don't bad. sell cannons my... in Walmart. In Walmart, no small smoothbore cannons in Walmart anymore, please. <laughs> so. Power and sex. So power, as in the one we're talking about, and sex, her mm-hmm. female comrade, they met up in Detroit. They got no identities and worked as clerks. They moved around a lot. So the FBI couldn't find them. They weren't part, as far as they knew, as any like criminal underworlds. And their roommates weren't even questioned. And power said something like they didn't know how to handle women that were on the run. <laughs> In October 1970, Power and Sachs became the 16th and 17th people on the FBI's most wanted fugitives list. Ooh, that is pretty and cool. Power actually holds the record for the woman longest ever on the FBI most wanted list. Nice. Very good fact. So, for a year and a half, they traveled around the Northeast and they had like a relationship, like a romantic relationship. Uh-huh. Sachs described herself as gay, whereas Power was just kind of web, like, you know. Whichever. Yeah, I guess so. Good times. Keep your options open. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> in 1972, Power assumed the name May Kelly. That is one of the reasons why she's under new identities, but not the main reason, because oh, okay. we'll come to that. We'll come to that. And got a full social security number. They moved to Connecticut and they eventually stopped living as lovers. They joined in with feminist communities in Torrington and Hartford. Speaking of figure more girls. <laughs> <laughs> She worked as a clerk, a nurse, and in a restaurant. They actually then told one woman from this feminist community because they trusted her, and she was like, "Nah." So they <laughs> had to is, flee again because the this police is a turned bit up. Too much. Yeah, the police turned up like really soon. <laughs> and then in late 1974, Power and Sachs decided to split. So Sachs was able to elude arrest until 1975 when she was captured in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Okay, so power. For two years, she keeps moving, doing bookkeeping in New York and New Jersey. That's some pretty impressive, because that seems like a... You're not just like... I mean, like, normally if it's like a, a guy fugitive, like, mm. classically in these sort of stories, they'd just be like contracts. They'd just, like, go labouring. Easy yeah. to, like, remain under the like, radar. But, like, like bookkeeping, Dexter. that's kind of like... Well, know, she this, has this, to this move be, around this a lot. Be like, but sure, that's like, that's like, you know, there's going to be a lot of, like... There's a paper trail there. I mean, yeah, bookkeeping so is... Use, like, Book- bookkeeping basically is a paper trail. That's what yeah. you're doing. You're creating paper trails. But maybe she like used that to her advantage. Yeah, maybe. But she did say, I think there was a some sort of um, quote that was like, "We only had to, we could only stay somewhere for like four months at a time because that's when they realised the social security numbers were fake." Oh, uh, okay then. But anyway, she struck gold in 1977. She took the name of this is the classic, the classic way. Took the name of a birth certificate of an infant who had died the year before her own birth, and that name Ooh. was Alice Louise Metzinger. And that is why she's a new uh, identities uh, person. Uh, 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 uh. Her name is now Alice Louise Metzinger. She applied for a social security number and then went to Maryland to get a driver's license. So she's all of a sudden 
a just free. a new person, basically. She's free to be what she wants to be. Be what <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. In 1979, she moved to Oregon, and she actually had a son called Jamie by an unknown father. She oh. met her future husband in 1980, Ronley Duncan. Ronley Ron. Duncan. Ronley Duncan. Yep. <laughs> Strong name. It was good. Um, I'd, they met at work. Okay. Like all, the, all the best couples meet at work, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> Was he a bookkeeper as well? <laughs> yeah, let's put no, I met my boyfriend at work. <laughs> so within the first few weeks of their romance, she actually told him her true identity. Ron was kind of cool with it. This love is forever. This love is forever. Uh, don't be too happy with him yet, because oh Ron then uh, left his wife and child because <laughs> he was already married. Oh, uh, okay then. And had a child with another woman to be with... Catherine Power, a.k.a. Alice. Okay, then. Yeah, they moved in together and they continued their life. It was said that 1983 was the best year that they had. They had a house, they grew cops, they were happy, they felt safe. As time went by, authorities received few tips regarding to Power, and in 1984, they dropped her from the most wanted list. So that's all you need to do to get off it. <laughs> Just Just time. Change the name to Alice. Time. Time heals all wounds. Time, patience, and steal a man from <laughs> their wife. In 1984, she settled in the city of Lebanon in Oregon um, with Jamie and Ron Duncan. So while living there, she taught cooking classes at a community college. And she worked in restaurants as well. Okay. She reached the shortlist for the post of food writer for the Corvallis Gazette Times and became the part owner of Nepali Restaurant and Bakery in Eugene. That's quite public, isn't it, being a food writer? Yeah. You are sailing close but, to the wind there. But she's got a new name, so she feels safe. So in 1991, she quit the restaurant to focus on her family, but she did actually go the ne- back the next year in 92. So remember this happened in 1970, and we're now in the 90s. She's done it. So we're in 92. Yeah, it's a good run. <laughs> yeah, it's a good run. So Paola has suffered from clinical depression since childhood, and she had a therapist called Linda... Wait, not throughout her entire life? No, just at this okay, point. Yeah, yeah. She met Linda Cal through... I think she was giving some seminars, and she went yeah. to them, and then she took on as a therapist. And she ended up confiding in Linda Cal- Carol... Um, Carol, like Lewis Carroll, about her situation. Carol kept it to herself, but she did suggest that maybe Power investigate what, what charges were against her so she could kind of... Oh, she knew. Yeah, she told her. She told her therapist. And then that's when Alice slash Catherine <laughs> developed her desire to stop living a life under assumed name. Okay. She decided to marry Duncan in 92 and revealed her background to her friends. Apparently Duncan said he saw this decision coming when this started to happen, because she never really like suggested that they get married until this point. Mm-hmm. Carol, Power's therapist, enlisted the help of Stephen Black, a public defender, and also a physician and a psychiatrist. Interestingly, Carol also became convinced that Power had inherited from her father a condition called endogenous clinical depression. Okay. And also had PTSD from the robbery and murder. In 1992, Power sold her interest in Napoli for $20,000 and gave $5,000 to Oxfam. So that's about $10,000 to his mom. Here we are. It's nearly the end of the uh, road for her run. Her running. Her running? Her fugitiveness. In 1993, Catherine Ann Power negotiated to surrender with authorities and ended her 23 years of hiding. Negotiations were carried out through her attorney Stephen Black and Ricky Kineman who was a prominent Boston lawyer. 
Stephen Black was actually a decorated Vietnam pilot. After the war, he started drinking heavily. He got sober, but he was still plagued with crying fits. Power helped him through his issues because she basically held like a mock trial for him. Okay. And like this helped him get out all of his, I guess, depression about what he had done during the war. That's interesting. Like, what was it? I can't remember what I was reading or listening to. I can't remember where I came from. But it's like different people's kind of like reactions, like how how they kind of like coped with what they did in the war. Yeah. And like, so like most, most people who came back from World War II just completely broken. But like there was one guy that just basically came back. He was fighting in the Pacific, he finished fighting in the Pacific, went to China, just got wrecked for a month, just partied like a crazy bastard. Then went home and just told his parents everything that he did and then was fine. Yeah, I think it's like just that confessional it thing, like, right? Yeah, just got mm. everything out he did. Yeah, I think confession... Even not religious confession, but just yeah. confession in general helps a lot. Exactly, of people. yeah, and acceptance, like yeah. confession plus acceptance, and you can kind of live on, <laughs> live on, right, the whole, hold it inside. Yeah, interesting, <laughs> very interesting. So Black, um, the lawyer, got in touch with this other one, Kyman, uh, and Kyman approached Ralph Martin, who was the district attorney in Boston, and they went back and forth for a long time because they wanted they were holding out for about three years prison sentence for context Sachs, susan Sachs, who was armed and inside the bank during the robbery made a plea bargain and served less than seven years so three years okay. is like about half the time of that yeah, yeah, and yeah. considering he she wasn't in the robbery yeah, yeah. and wasn't armed so on the 15th of september 1993 she pleaded guilty to two counts of armed robbery and man's one of armed robbery and one of manslaughter the charge went for the manslaughter wow. yeah well the charge of murder was actually they were going for murder but All it right. got reduced the charges of the robbery of the philadelphia bank which power says she doesn't remember participating in were dropped at the time her son jamie was age 14 a freshman in high school and power was 44 her husband ron duncan adopted jamie um, the in the judge was didn't allow Jamie to testify on his mother's behalf, hmm. and after the surrender, Jamie met all his extended family, his maternal grandparents, aunts and uncles and cousins, and apparently they took to him instantly and embraced him. Oh, I think he actually nice. may have gone to live with them for a bit. Okay then. So then he had some leave for school. That's harsh. So fourteen. Well, no, I think that I was like. He stayed with them or something. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. So, in court, Power made the following statement about Officer Schroeder. His death was shocking to me, and I have had to examine my conscience and accept any responsibility I have for the event that led to it. Schroeder's daughter said, The open wound of the unsolved crime while Catherine Power was establishing her life in Oregon. Marie, Schroeder's wife, had to raise nine children without a father. Nine. Wow. Yeah. Power was sentenced to 8 to 12 years um, in prison for the bank robbery and 5 years and a £1,000 fine for the incident at the National Guard Armoury. The 5-year sentence was served concurrently with the 8 to 12-year sentence with the possibility of parole after 5 years. Additionally, um, the judge imposed a kind of a weird condition that she could not profit from her crime. But she did, did, oh right, you mean like books and stuff and in 47-page interviews with the... <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe they didn't pay her for that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This, uh, this probation condition also precluded her ability to profit directly or indirectly from telling a story. So there you go. She couldn't, she couldn't even get paid for that. I wonder if you could get around that nowadays with like the whole, like, uh, buy me like a coffee thing. Because then well, you I'm could be like, I'm not, if... Maybe, if you donate to me on this buy me a coffee app, 
then I'll give you this. But it's not actually for this. You're just donating it to me. Cause... I'm wondering if that... Um, what am I talking about? I'm wondering if the New York article actually came out before this sentence was passed down because it was uh, in 94. Okay, so I'm wondering if he saw that and was like, mm, I don't want her to be like profiting off this. It's weird that they don't pass this for everything because they're, like, they're inventing they Anna They do thing. Uh, in America. Yeah, they do a lot in America. But like, uh, yeah, because like, inventing Anna thing, she profited from that, didn't she? And that's like profiting from your crime. Yeah, they don't, it's not always, but in America mm. they do, especially when it's like murders and stuff. So Power later appealed this portion, but it was upheld. So in a 1983 public statement, Power said, the illegal acts I committed arose not from any desire for personal gain, but from a deep philosophical and spiritual commitment that if a wrong exists, one must take active steps to stop it, regardless of the consequences to oneself in comfort or security. Or, you know, others. Like- yeah. So, prison and after. During her time in jail, it was discovered that someone actually wanted to kill her. It was overheard on one of the guards' walkie-talkies, like, murder Catherine. Oh, right. And so they moved her to a more secure cell into, like, a special care block. This was near the start of her sentence. Okay. And the rest kind of went swimmingly. In prison, she got to speak to her husband and son every day and see them once a week. Her husband said, like, you're allowed one kiss and one hug at the beginning and end. Okay. (laughs) While in prison, Power completed her college degree in liberal studies through boston university in 98 she was eligible for parole after receiving the time for good behavior um she withdrew her request after opposition for schroeder's family but then in 99 she was released okay she was placed on 14 years of probation after serving six years of her age 12 year sentence age 50 at the time of her release power then returned to oregon and the family she formed while she was a fugitive Shortly after release, she appeared at a public forum on peace at Willamette University in Oregon, where she questioned the violent posture of some of the people in the peace movement. Later, Power enrolled in graduate studies at Oregon State University, where she worked on a master's degree in interdisciplinary studies with focuses on writing, philosophy, and ethics. She, I know that she wrote poetry as well, like during her okay. time. She also taught a freshman composition for the English department. Mm. On the 10th of May, 2001, she read a poem that she called Falling from Darkness in Corvallis and graduated with her M-I-A-S later Yeah, I think that's um, like their version of a master's but in like liberal arts. Mm-hmm. Um, in September 2001, Power represented Oregon State Philosophy Department in a bio-teach lecture series. As of 2008, Power has worked for Cambridge Cares About AIDS in the Boston area. Though that wasn't actually, that was updated in 2013, so she may not be working on that anymore. She probably is retired. I think she's like 73 or something now. And as far as I can tell from the internet, she is still alive. Mm. I couldn't find any information of her having died. Um, I think she's in her mid-70s. And she apparently lives in Boston and has two grandsons. Oh, cool. Like and that's the story of Kathy, Catherine Ann Power, slash Alice. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was, in the article, there were a lot of like quotes from her husband. Yeah. And he still calls her Alice. Because he met her and he was yeah. Alice. And so, I don't know what she uses now. I think she's asked to be called Kathy now. Like, obviously, being Catherine myself, I know there are a lot of variations <laughs> on the name Catherine. So, Kathy isn't like a crazy one. But so now, so now basically, like Alice has become her pet name that her husband uses. Yeah, kind of, yeah. But I guess her son also her son didn't find out about this until she was like surrendering. Like, oh really? Not, yeah. I mean, he was that fourteen. Is quite a surprise to mm-hmm. thrust yeah. in the sun. Sure. But also, like, imagine the stories. 
Like, yeah, yeah. you know my mum, she's a fugitive. <laughs> I guess the husband didn't turn out to be that bad after all. You know, he stuck around while she was in prison and stuff. Yeah, but he did leave his first wife. And he had, they, were, he, yeah, they were unhappy, they were unhappy. <laughs> he said that um, he had tried to get in touch with his daughter from his yeah. previous um, marriage and been unsuccessful. Well, you know. I wouldn't want a deadbeat dad either. He doesn't sound like a deadbeat dad. Hi, dad. He's still, <laughs> he's still, <laughs> he's still like bookmaking and that. Making them books. Make, cooking, cooking them books. <laughs> yeah, so that's the story of Catherine O'Power. Yeah, that was a wild ride. And that, and that does fit very well with the new identity theme because she lived as does, Alice yeah, yeah. for like 20 years. So. I mean, like, I do have sympathy for her, I think. You can, it's like very easy to be like dragged into. Like, like she's definitely not like a victim here. Yeah, the victim yeah. here was Schroeder, and he lost his life, and uh-huh. his family lost him. Yeah, but I have sympathy for her beliefs because I am. But I'm a pacifist. Like I wouldn't use revolutionary action because yeah, yeah. I be- don't believe in violence at all. And I think that she didn't really understand what was going. Like I think she was taken in by Bond. She was twenty, you know, and it was all a bit. It was completely different to her life growing up as like this in this like Catholic strict household. But I'm not making I mean, excuses for her. I guess I am kind of making excuses for her. But I think, I think that I... you know she has clearly done a lot to try and make up for her part in it, like yeah. giving to charity, working, you know, for charities, you know, and serving her time. I think I understand in terms of like, for instance, I don't know, like a national revolution, like like in Indonesia or Vietnam, something where you're kind of like. You're fighting against a military mm. occupying force. That's a, that's a, that's understandable. But I mean, like when it's just when you're playing like civilians in like the line of fire by just like robbing banks and stuff, that's that's completely different in my opinion. That's just they're just innocent bystanders that you're that you're directly yeah. targeting essentially. Mm-hmm. Anyway, have you got any recommendations? I'm still I'm listening to like the Red Handed podcast, but they've got enough listeners; they don't need my like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need my endorsement. On our, I'm really happy because on our latest episode, our first episode of this series, series five, mm-hmm. is we actually had 80 downloads, Ooh. like when I last checked. I know it doesn't sound to a lot to a lot of people because a lot of people have millions, but yeah. the fact that we've been away for like exactly, five yeah. months. So thank you so much to everyone who listened oh, to lovely. our last two episodes so far. Um, yeah. Recommendations. I saw a film called... <laughs> all my friends hate me which i know is kind of it's almost at the end of its run at the cinema so if you can catch it really funny dark comedy it's 94 minutes long which is <laughs> just like the best i love a film that's like gets to the point and it's about like this guy who thinks that his friends are, like punking him on a birthday weekend um and it's really funny dark <laughs> proper british dark comedy you know oh i know what i can recommend well it's I'm sure most people heard of it by now because it's on this third season, but the new season of The Great has started and it ah, was yes, it's on four, freaking fantastic, the first episode. Yeah, so if you're um, in the UK, that's on Channel 4. If you're in the US or other places, I believe it's Stars. on... Stars. Hulu? Is it on Star? Star Play or on Hulu? Yeah, Star, Stars, yeah. I think, yeah. Okay. Uh, and I also recommend that you check out our Patreon if you want to. It's only a pound a month and you can vote on our polls and listen to um, old archived episodes that I'll be uploading like once a month. And um, also it really it just helps us to pay for like the hosting of this podcast, which isn't very much, but it would help. Every and little helps. Yeah, every little helps. And you 
can follow us, right? On Instagram and Twitter. Yeah. At Have You Ever Pod. That's the one. Because we're like so good at social media. That's why. <laughs> we're the worst at social media. Yeah, You've actually come terrible. to the place of two people that just hate social media. <laughs> so, um, you may not actually see anything. <laughs> <laughs> it also doesn't help that I'm supposed to run another di- like two other pages as well, like the band one and one for my game. And none of them get updated ever. No. Ever. Yeah. I don't even have my own page, so. <laughs> but anyway. Um, well, thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.